This is Geeks Unleashed, episode 38. Oh March man, our book club well. was so good this month. I'm pretty sure this is probably my favorite book club that we've done. Uh, well, I, yeah, I normally think that every one. Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed, episode 38. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. Each week we cover the news of the week and we pick a couple of things to review that caught our fancy in TV, comics, movies and games. Um, but for this week's podcast episode, though, we'll be skipping the news for American Black History Month and we'll be giving you three reviews, which are Noughts and Crosses Season 1 from the BBC, our pilot season review, which is Dear White People Season 1, Episode 1, and Bitterroot Volume 1 from Image Comics. And spoiler warning, this is a review show. So if you have not had a chance to watch Knots and Crosses, six episodes of that, um, or Dear White People, or read the first volume of Bitterroot, you might want to pause this and come back later. And then at the very end of the episode, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. So one episode of stuff this week, Jasmine. Last week, we, <laughs> we, we, I think we killed ourselves. We did three things last week. Um, so oh, man. Quite, La- yeah, last week we had three, three totally separate days of recording. It was brutal. On top of being me being frozen. <laughs> so... I feel so long ago now, probably not to you. But yeah, like. no, it does. Like, it's it's super weird because it's like, I mean, today it was 80 degrees. And it's like, this is ridiculous. Last week I was freezing everything. Like, I, everything was so cold. And now it's 80 degrees outside and I was sweating. Like, it's ridiculous. But it goes to show, like, we're definitely not used to those kinds of temperatures here. Because 70s, 80s in February, like, that's normal for me. So this is my yeah. normal weather versus the seven degree weather that we had last week. But yeah, so <clears throat> follow, so last week what happened was we we get we guessed it on the Pop Culture Philosophers uh, YouTube channel on Thursday. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, man, that uh, PCP Army, those are some crazy guys. They kept asking weird questions, <laughs> like good weird <laughs> questions, but they were asking some weird questions. Uh, they, 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 they were really welcoming as well, like in the comments. Yeah, like, they, they were, were really like, thankful. Nice. Um, yeah, they, I thought it was funny that one of them thought I was Australian. I was like, <laughs> but but, um, but no, no, it was like it was really nice to be welcomed on the channel, and it was amazing yeah. sort of pop culture uh, chat, and it was thing. That we literally from, talked about everything from like oh, yeah. music to soundtracks to comics that changed lives to favorite movies, that kind of thing. And um, and then uh, on Friday we did. No, sorry, we skipped Friday. We went. Saturday we recorded mm-hmm. our weekly podcast episode and then on yep. Sunday night we were back again for our book club. Oh March man, our book well. club was so good this month. I'm pretty sure this is probably my favorite book club that we've done. Uh, well, I, yeah, I normally think that every one we do. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I really enjoyed doing V for Vendetta, but this was, this was good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so because of last week's podcast, we because of something we reviewed last week, it prompted us to change our format this week. Yeah. And um, so we reviewed Black Cotton issue one, which we weren't keen on. Um, For a variety of, of reasons. So be sure to check out episode 37 to figure out why. Yeah, but we weren't, but one of the things we were pro on was the concept. However, the concept's already been done yeah. previously. Um, so jumping straight into this week's review, um, which is Norton and Cross's the first season from uh, the BBC in the UK. And it's, I believe it's recently come out on the Peacock in America. Yes, you can uh, stream it for free on Peacock. Change can be intoxicating. But we must be careful not to become too homogenized. 
It's time we regained order. I urge you, Norks and Crosses alike, to protect your identity. There is strength in difference. Uh, so it's only six episodes, and it's based off a series of novels by Mallory Blackman. They're UK novels, uh, like she's a UK-British author, um, uh, well, you, a black British author as well, and um, it's set in an alternate United Kingdom, which is something like, as myself lives in the, live in the UK, I found it quite interesting to see the differences. So I think a lot of the time we review mainly American mm -hmm. type content. Uh, occasionally we've we've looked at something British, but it's um, been mainly American. So for me, I found the whole setting really intriguing, just the sort of differences, like the fact that it wasn't the United Kingdom, it was called Albion. Um, yes. Which I looked up and actually that is what the United Kingdom used to be called. Like, really? Yeah, yeah. So no, I did time, not know that. No, I didn't know that either. So that was interesting to me that um, that was an old name for our country. So um, obviously we were invaded by the Romans and, and it's not the first time that we were conquered. And we also did our share of conquering. Um, <laughs> uh, so as you would know. <laughs> so, um, but it was really interesting to see these subtle differences and there's several moments throughout the show where they pan across london and show like african statues like, like yeah. big ones the size of buildings like, and i there's the uh, one statue that's super prominent it reminds me of the family unit statue that's like uh one of the most famous landmarks in ghana in africa um so every time they showed that statue it was definitely reminiscent of actual modern art that is in africa currently i thought that was pretty cool yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed that. So anyway, the star, uh, sorry, the show stars a variety of cast. Um, so newcomer um, is Mal, Mal, Mas Ali uh, Badu, Baduza um, as Sefi. Uh, Jack Rowan plays Callum McGregor. Helen Backersdale plays Meggie, which is M E G G I E, um, not. For, it's got that sort of African sound about it. Um, I haven't actually looked it up, but um, Maggie McGregor and Patterson Joseph as the Home Secretary, Kamal Hadley. I loved uh, Patterson Joseph in Timeless. Uh, you've heard me going about Timeless before. Yes. Uh, I've never like, seen it, though. <laughs> oh, so, so good. Like, uh, what I loved, actually, was when it got cancelled that they did bring it back for a TV movie to wrap things up. So yeah. It, it is good when a network recognises there's a fan base out there. So. Yeah. Well, Kripke uh, has moved on now to the boys. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh Dillon plays the older brother, Jude McGregor. Um, Bonnie. Mbuli? Yeah. I was going yeah, to struggle there. And plays Jasmine Hadley, who is Kamal's wife. Uh, Ian Hart as Ryan McGregor. So, I love him. Other, there's other people in the show as well, but sort of predominantly these yeah, are the main guys car. yeah the main cast we didn't realize until we were preparing was although it is set in london it was filmed uh, predominantly in south africa um which i thought was pretty cool to be honest and yeah. and you know i guess that helped to bring in that african influence into the show so when episode one starts which i know comparing medias like tv shows versus comics is very hard yeah because in a TV show, you can have a two-minute scene, like you know, like they did at the beginning, where a two-minute scene in the comic could be a whole first issue. Right. So in the opening moments of Noughts and Crosses, we, we get the alternate 
United Kingdom setting um, by showing that Africa colonized the United Kingdom over 700 years ago. Um, and, and obviously that's now why it's not called the United Kingdom as we know it. And it's still under African rule. And um, so how it works is it's sort of its own colony where it has its own prime minister. But throughout the show, there's constant references to having to get sign off from Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so although it's a like a colony in its own right, it hasn't sort of broken away from Africa. They have to constantly go back to Africa yeah. if they want to do anything too extreme. Now, so- I did have a beef with that because it annoys me when people think of Africa as a country when Africa is a continent built yeah. of many, many, many countries. Now, again, this is fiction, but like that, that was the one thing that I couldn't let go of throughout the entire six episode run was how they kept referring to Africa. Like it was one solid kind of nation. I guess we don't know. Without, I mean, yeah. Not, Cause they right. didn't, they didn't explain that when they did the little graphic at the beginning about Africa colonizing uh, Europe and the UK, it was just like, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, like looking at the fashion and the and the way that they kind of dress, it's like very, very big, like Nigerian and Senegalese kind of East African vibe. But, you know, that doesn't account for the rest of Africa. You touched on fashion. I thought actually the fashion was quite, because it's set in an alternate Britain. So like, yeah. when, there was a, when there was a court case, for instance, they all put shirts on that were like flamboyant. Yeah. Where over here, over here, right now, if I went to court, I'd put on a white shirt. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be like white shirt, maybe black suit, that kind of thing. See, that but was there... one of the things that I thought was subtle, but like the nuance in this show was phenomenal because African fashion is the like fashion of the times. So like when people put on their quote unquote Sunday best or like their fancy dress, like you call it, like they were all these like African prints. You know, it, it was not just like, oh, let me put on a, this lace ruffle dress. No, no, like they put on African prints. And yeah. when Callum's parents went to his graduation for the military academy, um, like his mom even wore like a headdress, like like an African headdress, you know, and she she's a white lady. And it was just kind of like, it makes sense uh, if they were the dominant culture that, or if they were the dominant sort of oppressor, so to speak, or colonizer, that they're traditions and their fashion and all of those things that they brought with them would then become the dominant things in this new Albion place. Yeah. And I, I think that makes sense too. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's a little reference in the show. Um, so the older brother Jude is talking to Callum at one point about getting a job and Jude says to Callum about using sort of black sounding names. Yeah. And, and that made me just think about, how many times have we heard that the other way around about black or Asian people having to take white people names to make themselves more socially acceptable or whatever it is. And, and it's really weird because I'd sort of come across someone recently um, who nothing to do with the podcast, but an Asian person using a white sounding name. Yeah. Uh, And I didn't question it or anything that was, you know, but but like uh, it kind of, it was actually uh, it was last week before before watching this actually and while watching this i kind of thought back to the it was like an email exchange and i thought back to back to that email exchange and i was like it still goes on now like mm-hmm. an asian person thinking i'll take this name because it, it's gonna just help me oh yeah they have, they uh, commonly have what they call an american name 
at least yeah. here anyway yeah 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 or yeah you know, say over here like an english name or whatever mm-hmm. it is and um and so hearing that just made me think it's quite weird to see it flipped around yeah. and um and for me like being the white guy on this podcast like you know for <laughs> me to so actually to talk about it, sort of jump back actually right to the very beginning of this podcast so obviously like i said we we got we've got the groundwork for the alternate britain mm-hmm. uh, and then it goes to a street scene where we've got um callum and jude and a few other of their white friends you know doing street racing which i thought was quite a cool opening to be honest yeah uh and then the police show up and they all have to sort of go their separate ways um, but they all get cornered by two black policemen and this is something that we talked about in black cotton that they mm-hmm. kind of just jump straight into that with no setup and not understanding why the black policeman was going after the white woman like yeah. other than reading the synopsis online um if you'd have just picked this up on the shelf you'd be thinking what on earth is going on um <laughs> so but with this so you'd had the groundwork you'd sort of seen all these white people were you wouldn't necessarily at this point know that they were in a lower class position, but it was white people sort of essentially breaking the law by doing street racing. Mm-hmm. And then two black people show up initially questioning, and then it leads to a, a confrontation and they're sort of doing some film, they're filming them on their smartphones and things like that, which is obviously things you hear about now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then unfortunately the black policeman does hit the white person and, that white person ends up going to ple- uh, going to hospital. And actually, me and you were comparing that with Black Cotton last week, saying the family instantly got involved. But that, mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't see any of that. There was no, in fact, um, when they thrown in the hospital, the family are there with their child in hospital. They're, they're, literally, no one's going to see them because no one cares. So, which is right because so. they play it up as since they're in charge, which is definitely more in line with the way that things work here, like in the real world, unfortunately. The, the cops are protected by the government. And the story that the government releases is that the kid that's in the hospital attacked the cops. So the government says that the cops were defending themselves. And basically, there's like one viral video th- that shows the cop hitting the kid. And it kind of looks like a club, like a, a billy yeah. club or something, um, hitting the kid and knocking him unconscious. But yeah, it's definitely to me this feels more realistic to where the it's it's basically sort of state sponsored. Like the the city is behind you, the state is behind you, the government is behind you, even though you are in the wrong for what you did mm-hmm. to that kid. So like initially watching this, it did make me feel like it's kind of weird to watch it where it's the other way around for me. Mm-hmm. Um, even even TV and all media like will play on like you said the real world element of the other way around you know where white people are the majority and stuff like that you re- there's very rarely do they ever play into the white person being the minority and if right. it happens if it happens it's more just because of a social interaction rather than because they've just gone into a country <laughs> you know it's yeah. like you know or, when, you know or gone into a different town where it's the other way around um so but even then, if they are in another town, it's in a country where it still is, like, like if it's in the UK or America, like, you know. But um, anyway, so it's kind of weird to see for me the other way, the other way around. And, um, and it, it does, I would say this whole show is quite thought provoking for anyone that, mm-hmm. that's interested in seeing it the other way around. 
But... It's interesting to me the way that they played it. So, like, later in, after, you know, the, the kid, his name is Danny. He's in the hospital. Um, but when they play it up between the two main characters, who are uh, Callum and Sefi, when when they see each other again, and now, again, Sefi is the daughter of the prime minister. So she is a cross, and then Callum is a knot. And she's like, well, no, but, you know, on the news, they said that he attacked the cops. And Callum is like, no, I was there. Like, he didn't attack the cops. The cops attacked him. He was he was not provoking the cops. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, why would they lie about that? And I think that they do that part really well because that is usually how it works. Like, in minority groups, we we kind of all have the same conversation with our families, with our kids, like with everyone where it's kind of like, Listen, man, if, if anything happens and you get pulled over by the cops, it's yes, sir. It's no, sir. Even if you don't really believe that with with any conviction, you say it because you don't want to give them a reason. Um, but it, it always goes back to other people that were not part of the situation or that don't really understand how like the the systematic racism or systemic racism works. This is how systemic racism works. It's because the system is designed to keep you in a lower position so that the people that are in power stay in power. And I, I thought that they, they did that so well. I mean, that, that was one of the things that I loved so much about this series is that they take actual policies act because they actually mentioned stop and frisk at some point, which has been a policy that has put a whole bunch of black and brown kids like in jail and behind bars and in prison. And it's just like, it, at one point, I think it's in one of the much later episodes, probably episode four, um, where there's a trial and Callum is testifying and he's like, I've probably been stopped 300 times by the cops. And everybody in the courtroom is like, what? That's crazy. And he's like, no, yeah. I mean, I get stopped walking down the street. I get stopped when I'm hanging out with my friends. I get like, I get stopped all the time just because of who I am, like just because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that particular court case so mm-hmm. Kamal who's the father of Sefi um, actually it's probably worth note, note mentioning this now Callum and Sefi were friends as child, as children uh, we don't see that in the show but it's referenced and they meet again as adults um, so Callum's mother Meggie she works for the Hadleys the Prime Minister and his wife and the children and she's been sort of their housekeeper and almost like surrogate mother to to the children she's helped bring up the children mm-hmm. um and almost to the point of she's kind of each one of their members of the family's confident she kind of has secrets that they all tell her they, they all they all like oh Meggie don't tell so-and-so like Meggie yeah. don't tell so-and-so and and she must have literally <laughs> be thinking yeah i'm not going to say anything because you all you all tell me stuff yeah but that's um, also really important too because you see films like and and some you know sometimes there's criticism that comes through because it seems like hollywood only rewards film and tv that shows black pain so like we only get to be popular when we're playing slaves or if we're playing maids or you know that kind of thing and at one point in the series after Maggie has done all of this work, she has been a vital part of the entire like family's upbringing where Jasmine gets really mad at her and says, you're nothing but the help. And I was like, see, that's the kind of shit right there. Like that is what is so frustrating because you feel like you're making headway and maybe even get to the point where you think 
they treat me differently because they can actually see me for who I am. And then they go and say some stupid shit like, oh, no, your your opinion doesn't matter because you're just the help. Yeah. And I was like, that, that kind of nuance. And there was an episode where, I think it's the second episode when, when they're at the party, or maybe it's the first episode. Callum cuts his finger on a piece of glass and Steffi gets him a Band-Aid. The freaking Band-Aid is dark, like black skin. Which oh. is something that no one ever kind of pays attention to. Like when we get band-aids, like band-aids were originally meant to blend in with white skin, which is why band-aids are the color that they are currently, like in 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 real in the real world. So I thought that little detail, and and it happened so early in the episode, it was basically well, yeah, it was a throwaway episode, scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it was like. If this is the level of nuance and detailing that they have put into this series, then this series is miles and miles and miles better than Black Cotton ever like thought it could be. Just because like that is something even I would not have thought of. But like mm-hmm. I thought that was an amazing detail to put in there that the the band aids are dark are meant for dark skin, not for light skin. Yeah, you know, in the, for the, around the six episodes, there's so much that happens. So each mm-hmm. episode is an hour long, uh, which I know in America, because the BBC has no adverts. So I guess if, if it was over there, I don't know. With the Peacock, do you have well, to? Well, if it was adverts? over here, it would be on a premium network, probably. So like stuff on Stars or or HBO would probably run about. Because I think but, they ran about fifty five minutes, fifty to fifty five minutes. Did you have when you watched it on the Peacock? Did you have adverts or? or yes, because I have a free account. <laughs> okay, so so yeah, but see, but do they, well, how do they do it? Do they front load them, or do you have it broken up when you're watching? It's it? broken up. Okay, so, so just you're like still, you're watching it on regular TV. So yeah, but you'll still get the full hour then plus adverts. Yeah, so okay. probably with the advertisements, it comes out to about uh, I'd say maybe like actually right at an hour because with the Peacock, it's different than Hulu. Hulu sometimes has like two and a half minutes of commercials if you have the the lower end Hulu account, yeah. but with this one the longest run of ads was a minute. So you only okay. had 60 seconds and they broke it up five times. So yeah, so I would say keep, pro- right at try, about an hour. Trying to keep it short then, I guess. So that way it was, yeah, I think it comes up to about, I think it is like 47, 48, sorry, 57, 58 minutes in most mm-hmm. times. So I guess that allows people to shove in a couple of adverts here and there to keep it up to an hour. Um, but even though, so what I was going to say is with the six hours, it's six full hours, which I guess yes. if it was uh, on a, like a, a cable TV channel in America, or even like if it was on one of our advertising channels, it'd, it'd be probably 45 be about, minutes. Yeah, it'd be 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, so, it's, I would say, although it was six hours, you're probably looking at maybe sort of a, a seven seven for all yeah, six so, episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a lot of content in here. I probably would argue that we could have maybe done with an extra episode, um, only because in the later half of the show. Uh, yeah, after episode four, everything speeds up way too fast. It goes too quickly. Yeah. yeah. So I think they spend the first four episodes really laying the ground. Yeah. You know, really drive. They really drive home how poor. Callum's family is mm-hmm. how bottom of the food chain white people are. Yeah, uh, um, you know you've got this underground militia which Callum's without like, without like overselling it or overdoing it. It's it the way that they do it. They do it all through storytelling. It is not. There's never a narrator that comes in. You can see the differences, and you can see how society is a little bit different than what we have now. Yeah, so it's all done 
I would say very well. Yeah. Um, like I say, the first four episodes, they're, they're not slow, but no, a lot not does at all. Happen. A lot, a lot happens, but not enough that it's overwhelming. Yeah. And so, there's, yeah, there's many things that happen. So Callum and and Sefi's relationship goes from pretty much into relationship status straight away. Yeah, right away. So, <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, he sees her across the party, and straight, he he clearly is not a racist. Like, and yeah. he hasn't. So where some people, some of the white characters clearly have race issues, and some obviously a lot of the black characters have race issues but he looks across the party and he sees her straight away and he's like you can see he's like wow like, mm-hmm. who's this? and then the the scene that you mentioned about the glass cutting and stuff and they're holding hands or they're doing it it's all done deliberately and and sort of by the fun, end of the first episode they they're kind of you know they're there like you know the groundwork's been set for a yeah. relationship and they this character sorry these characters and you know although they're referring to sort of noughts and crosses for black and white people and you know you've got, you know you've got your um, Callum and your Sefi, but then mm. it clearly is a Romeo and Juliet style story. Yes, one hundred percent. It is very, very, very much a Romeo and Juliet retelling. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 yeah, like you say, it's a modernization of Romeo and Juliet, but yeah. but rather than the Montagues and Capulets, we've got Norths and Crosses. Right. And actually, the, the the divide of of the Montagues and Capulets is much bigger because it's black people and white people where in Romeo and Juliet, it was just the, the two, the two families where, yeah. you know, if maybe if Romeo and Juliet had gotten out of, um, out of the city, they might have yeah, been, that right. been okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, obviously that didn't happen. And yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that, that, that story goes on throughout the whole of the, the show. They're, yeah. they're sort of their love. And then we've also got Sefi's father, Kamal, who is very politically probably, ambitious. And, and probably the only way to really describe him is almost like a black Donald Trump. Like yeah. he, he's, he is very, very much a nationalist. He wants to keep things the way they are. He does not believe in integration. He is for segregation all the way. Yeah. Um, and he likes to say the politically ambitious. So there, there is a prime minister at the beginning, but he has an overall plan to get rid of her, which yeah. succeeds. And, he and she minister. actually seemed reasonable. Like she was introducing oh. a new bill that was going to decriminalize interracial marriage and he was like absolutely not that is not going to work we can't have that (laughs) (laughs) um so there there ends up um they end up in hospital because jasmine kamal's wife has a drinking problem and and the whole thing about her falling out with Maggie and firing her, I think it all sort of gets to her because Sefi also falls out. Well, she realizes that she lost her friend too. Yeah, yeah. I think although she referred to Maggie as the help, that actually mm. was her closest she, friend. Yeah, she and, was just um, being callous. Yeah, and um, in a moment of anger, she fired. Mm-hmm. She fired her friend, and and then her arrogance couldn't go and get her to resolve it. Um, so, but Maggie comes back because even though Maggie had been trodden on, she equally. I think, I think it's clear that she loves the family. Yeah. Like she might uh, not agree with everything that they do, but she loves them. And she, Maggie, Maggie is very, throughout the whole series, she's very much trying to tell her sons, like, look, I know your dad had a history with this, like, terrorist organization, which I assume they're kind of like the, uh, the, what, that Irish organization? Oh, all right. Yes, so that's kind of what that organization reminded me of uh, that the father used to belong to. He doesn't belong to anymore. But but she is very much preaching, like, don't be like that. Don't let hate 
do this to you. And I thought that she she's pretty much the conscious of the series because no matter how badly she was treated or the wrongs that she sees, she's basically like hate has no place in any of this. Like if if I'm upset with you, it's because you did something that was inappropriate. It's not because of the color of your skin or because you're not or a cross. Like mm. um, so I she was probably honestly my favorite character in the entire series. I just thought she was she was the most tragic, unfortunately, because she could be the most balanced. Um, and the people who tend to have the widest frame of vision tend to be the most miserable because they can see things before they kind of actually play out. Yeah. Um, so she arranges for Jasmine to go to hospital. That in turn leads Jude, who is part of this militia, to... Who is a big, naive idiot, by the way. He but... starts to he starts to come around towards the end, but I'm for, it's a bit too little too late. He's very pro-white yeah. people. And, but it just uh, goes to show how again when when you're kicked and kicked and kicked and kicked eventually you want to kick back and i think that he is is a prime example of just the unfortunate person that has been mistreated over and over and over again by the state and finally he's like screw it like if if you are not going to see that what you're doing is wrong then i'm going to make you see it and Mm -hmm. he just goes about it the complete wrong way so he plants a bomb in the hospital, mm-hmm. which so happens to be the bomb that Jasmine, Kamal, Sefi, and the sister Melina are all at. Minerva. Uh, Minerva, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, Minerva. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all and then um, Callum comes home. He basically tells Judy, loves Sefi, da 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 da. And then Jude's like, um, there's something I've got to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they they leg it to the hospital, and as they get there, unfortunately, the bomb goes off, and mm-hmm. and that's where it begins this speed up towards the end. Um, yeah. And the the court case comes around, but actually, it's not Jude that gets arrested. Um, it's their father, Ryan. Well, uh, Callum gets arrested first because yeah, well, yeah, yeah. he runs his mouth, unfortunately, and he tells. He implies that he knows who planted the bomb and he tells this to Sefi. And of course, Sefi goes back to her father because she's also naive in thinking that, you know, that every, everybody is trying to do the right thing, which is, is obviously not the case. Um, And I think actually the way that they play Sefi's naivete is very on point with, you know, some of these people who consider themselves in real life to be like fake woke where it's like, no, th- things don't work out that way, and and it's not it's not like that. And it's like, well, of course it's like that. Like, how w- how would you know when you when this has never directly affected you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, Sefi is the epitome of like one of those people that's like, no, no, the textbook says that it's supposed to work out as X Y Z, and the people who've actually had the lived experiences are like, honey, no, that's not that's not it doesn't play out in the way that that the textbook says it plays out. Yeah, so well, throughout the show, you can see slowly she's sitting there yeah. hearing the lies, mm-hmm. like, you know, in classroom, getting told, well, this is this, this and this happened, or in, in history, or this, you know, right. we do it. But they say there's and... a saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And for yeah. the first half of this season, Sophie ends, or Sefi ends up 
saying things to the wrong people with the best of intentions, but those mm-hmm. intentions end up getting people hurt. Yeah. I, th- I think her journey from where she started to, you know, upper, the upper class um, black family to where she ends, and we'll talk about that later. But anyway, so she leads to Callan getting arrested, who gets had the hell beaten out of him mm-hmm. by the cops because that's how they get there and interrogate him to get their confession. Yep. Um, which leads Ryan, the father of Callan Jude, to turn himself in and confess to him. Yes. That leads that leads to this court case where he um behind the scenes, Jasmine, Kamal's wife, she regrets the firing and mm-hmm. they, she sees the two events linked as Ryan did this in retaliation for Maggie losing her job, which unfortunately isn't the case, but they, they keep quiet and don't, don't ever let want Jude to be the person found out. And Jasmine and Sefi come in and Jasmine says she'll pay for the... Mm-hmm. Um, pay for the, a really good lawyer. Yeah, for a good lawyer. And there's other things as well um, because she's had enough of Kamau and there's a lot of unfortunately their marriage isn't in a good place we, we won't cover that now but um and then <laughs> it is brilliant though like actually that she pays for the court case also the lawyer because when 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 Kamau uh later on gets the email through and the bill comes through <laughs> he's absolutely furious <laughs> like, yeah um but yeah so in the court in the court case it comes out about like you said earlier about the um all the times that the white people have got stopped, you know, right. 300 times and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, Ryan doesn't get completely off the hook, but he does get off the death penalty. And, yes. and I think the judge is sympathetic to how white people are treated, but ultimately she's like, well, you planted a bomb that killed three people. Like there's no right. getting away, getting away with the fact that you We got to punish people. you some kind of way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to be honest, I do get that. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. someone plants a bomb and kills three people, you can't They just... shouldn't get off scot-free, period. Yeah, 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 okay. You can't just say, look, okay, yeah, you're fed up and been trodden on, but you've got to protest your way in a different manner, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't involve people dying, which is actually something that I thought about when we were reading March last week about the non-violent protests mm-hmm. and they they unfortunately there was no non-violent protests actually no there was no there was one right at the very end when Kamal becomes um, prime minister uh, yes. the white people that come in in chains in, in, yeah. the, in the in the crowd covered in fake blood yeah, and coming in February, and that was the only time I saw uh, non-violent protests used other than that all of their protests are violent Mm-hmm. Like they everything they do and it is very difficult for people in power to listen to people that when all they're doing is violence because that unfortunately detracts from their message um, yeah. because they're seeing the violence rather than what their message is so yeah. i think that's where matt march was actually a lot stronger in terms of delivering their message because it was the non-violent way of putting across their message but i also um, think that just goes to show the difference in the individual leading the movement right oh yeah don who is the guy who's in charge of this uh liberation movement the lm um he's unhinged he oh, yeah. he's definitely leaning more toward direct domestic terrorism than he is to like you know um a, a person who's actually trying to foster change mm-hmm. but you have people like um i have i have, I have so many notes but like <laughs> with with the protesting kind of stuff, like there there are people that are trying to go about it in a diplomatic manner and they kind of get overlooked because even the prime minister before she's outed or ousted, 
um, she's very much like, no, we can't keep doing things that get crosses approval. We have to work to do things that get not approval because we're the same country and we need to be representative of both classes of people. Um, and I just, the, the, the way that they kind of play that up is super interesting. And the, the way that the episodes sort of get more and more insidious, it's like the, the series kind of gets deeper and deeper and deeper with each episode that passes. And by the fourth episode, that's finally the episode where Kamal actually admits, like, the issue here is we don't want you mixing with our race. And that is something that has plagued, especially like in, in you know, in, in modern times, like that has plagued the American South and the conservative movement here in the U.S. It's because for some reason... And I don't know, this is completely unfounded in my opinion. Some reason conservative white people believe that like other races are trying to completely eradicate the white race. And it's like, no one is trying to do that. What, what everyone else is trying to do is we want our fair shot that we, we don't want to eradicate any other race. Like we're fine coexisting with everybody else, but we want the same opportunities as everybody else. Like that's what this boils down to. But I thought that was really, really a powerful moment in the series when, when Kamal just flat out says like, basically like interracial relations is an awful thing because that's how we lose our sense of culture or our sense of uh, history. And it's like, Damn, this show, like, this show really, really makes you think because it, it takes actual concepts and actual problems. Like, for instance, they have a term called uh, blanker, which I'm assuming is the equivalent of the use of the N-word. And when they use it against white people, there's, an, there's a part in the second episode where Sefi accidentally says it when she's running away from a protest with Callum. And the look on his face when she says it out loud, it's just a look of betrayal. Like, I cannot believe you just said that. Like, she didn't say it to him. She was saying it to someone else. But at the same time, it's like, I can't believe you would even use that word. And that is also one of the things that, like, comes up all the time, especially in, in America, where it's like, white people get tripped up because it's like, oh, we caught you and you said the N-word. And they're like, no, no, I didn't mean it that way. And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, if, mm -hmm. there, there's no good way to use that word. Um, if you are not black, basically. So uh, I just I just love the way that the series did all of that. Like you you took that and you you made it your own. You came up with a fictional word for your group of people. But like it's used to great effect. You you took the whole mixing of the races to uh to your kind of you you played it to your alternate reality and you use that to great effect the the way the the background that went into this series to give you the illusion that society has actually flipped is phenomenal i mean it's it's so great it's so great because they pick up on all of the little subtle things that you might not necessarily think of on the surface i was gonna say like um i know so this story obviously isn't anti-white mm -hmm. um and the author got really criticized I, I, I looked this up and she got criticized by white people for trying to put together a show that people believe was anti-white 
Anyway, like, I won't go into that now, but it, cle- it clearly... You don't get that sense if you actually watch the series. Yeah, um, but I was going to say, this is probably the first thing in media where you're actually rooting for the white people in regards to <laughs> like, racial, like because of racial relations, where mm. normally, I've, I don't think I've ever watched anything where I'm rooting for the white person in a, in where the other when it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see it actually where the white people are literally are pretty much low level, and when you see where they all live, and in fact the black people make references to where all the white people live, like it, they they live in pretty much slums. Like, yeah. and like this is a, they live in the hood. Yeah, basically, <laughs> like and it and it is it is quite it's quite strange to obviously see that, and um, and, and don't get me wrong, it's probably white people that do live in places like that all over the world but because it's really driven home the differences where you look i guess because they're comparing actually the classism is is apparent it's it's completely apparent in the series one of the things i did want to mention actually was even there is they they only touch marginally was right ryan does have a job at the beginning of the show and although they do drive home the fact that white people are poorer than black people Mm not every white person is as equal as every white person because right. Ryan's boss even says, because um, Ryan says that we're the same and Ryan's boss says, we're not the same. I have two cars. I have this. I have that. Mm-hmm. You have, you don't have this. You don't have He that. also makes reference <sighs> to not giving the father, Danny's father time off because he thinks Danny's father's religion or whatever uh, is, is, irrelevant and he's like you should really just convert and you should do you know you should do things by the african way yeah yeah i can believe he said that as well about like doing things by the african way yeah which is it almost like implied that his family was jewish with the way that they did the funeral the funeral ceremony and stuff but yeah i thought that was super interesting too how you did have there there definitely were uh white people that kind of look like they could have fit in with uh with the crosses or even white people that might have been crosses um so try and bring this to a close this review just come back to Sefi and callum so the main bulk of the story throughout the six episodes callum and Sefi and their slow relationship build up uh, eventually leading to them um, having sex together and then they break apart for various racial problems that they're having to do with his father and and all the rest of it because there's the the press releases that ryan committed suicide it turns out ryan actually was killed in prison mm-hmm. and that that gets discovered by sefi and callum in very different ways callum mm-hmm. um callum finds it out in a more violent way uh while sefi actually confronts her father who actually admits to it in the end um and he had but no- he also <sighs> said that ryan attacked a guard Again, yeah, which was not the case. No, no. Yeah. But he he does admit partial truth rather than the whole truth. He, mm-hmm. he, admit, he, he, he admits that it wasn't suicide, but yeah. there, there was no attack by Ryan no. at all. Like, anyway, so that leads to Callum completely pulling away from Sefi, joining the LM, which I found was so out of character for the first four episodes. Yeah. Um, and I... I just can't really see that that would have happened um or but, that, it was but who just knows rushed. what rage would do to you yeah, i can see where so. they were trying to go with it but it did feel incredibly rushed because yeah. his transition was a complete 180 from the character that you you kind of just come to fall in love with from the first four episodes mm. by episode five it's like i don't recognize this version of callum at all 
and Sophie says that in episode six. Yeah. So, so shit, they they the LM uses Callum and manipulates him, especially their leader, because um, they know that he has this love for Sophie. Right. So they so they get Callum to arrange to kidnap Sophie, and he does it. And I found that the, the episode six quite difficult to watch because Callum now locks up Sefi in, in like a little room whilst they're trying to do a deal with Kamal to resign as prime minister and hand over some money, which he very reluctantly does. You know, he doesn't want to give up his prime, prime ministership, which he fought so hard for. But as Jasmine says, look, it's our daughter. So mm-hmm. anyone that would question keeping their job. <laughs> over their kid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so there's a massive confrontation in the end and... Callum, Sefi's pretty adamant that that, that they're going to kill her. And then Jude finds that out just before the money exchange happens. So Jude does run back. It's the one time Jude actually suddenly is like, actually, this is going too far. Um, He runs back a little bit too late. So we don't actually know because this is all heading towards the cliffhanger season finale. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know if Jude's alive or not. So there's a confrontation between him and the leader of the LM. Uh, Gun goes off. We don't know if he survived. Callum does run out with Sefi and runs into Callum, the father, and she admits that she's pregnant. He's clearly upset by it because he's not really pro the the interracial relations. um, Even though he has an interracial kid out of wedlock? Yeah, which is something that does drive a lot of his backstory mm-hmm. as well. And um, because of because of time, we won't cover that now. But so they do escape and go off into the woods, and they ring and he rings his mom, and sort of that's kind of how it ends. Now, spoiler warning for anyone that may have read or may not have read the books, <laughs> planning to. I did do a little bit of digging in regards to the backstory of the books. Not read the books. However, Callum actually dies at the end of the first book. And the TV series has decided to go a different, more hopeful route. I, I, I don't know how I'd feel. I think I, I'm, I'm keen to read the books. Um, it's quite. It would be going into it'd be quite weird to to know that actually your main character does die. Mm. Um, so this is five books and four novelers, I believe. So it'd be quite strange to see where this goes without Callum, who yeah. was so pro trying to in a more um, less aggressive way in the first four episodes it was so pro the interact you know this you know bringing in the um uh, you know going against segregation and stuff yeah. like that so yeah then, but by the also, time the series is over he has helped bury a body um yeah. he has kidnapped the love of his life and i i hate it in any book medium tv film anything i hate it when they take the strong female character and they make her pregnant. And it's like, there's no other conflict in all of the options that you had when you were writing this. There was no other conflict that you could have chosen. So instead you choose to make this character pregnant. And now it's like, I don't know. To me, that's just such lazy writing because everything now of course is going to be geared toward making sure that the baby stays safe and it's like mm-hmm. uh this is this is a route that we didn't have to go down there was there was enough conflict in this series that you could have picked something else other than pregnancy to get the ending that we got anything mm-hmm. you could have picked anything else i think it annoyed me because because clearly so in love with her mm-hmm. 
and to see him betray her so cold right. and hard. Literally treated her like shit. But, like Yeah, puts her in this little cell, whatever. And he's fighting with himself about it. And Judy you watched four it. guys like manhandle her and beat her. Like she she had a bloody cheek by the time they took that uh hood off her head when yeah. she got to oh. the cell. And Jude does say to her, like, about him being scared of himself because of her, because of how he's going to be with her. And he does, and he, like, he's wavering constantly, but he's wavering. And maybe he would have got there in the end, but he probably would have got there too late. I don't think, I think had the pregnancy thing not come out, I don't, he wouldn't have allowed the LM to kill her. I can't see that. Like, mm-hmm. um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe he would have, but I think if he had it done, he would have regretted it forever. Anyway, so it was a shame that unfortunately the pregnancy was the thing that sort of pulled him back mm-hmm. from from this oblivion. Because let me tell you something: if I was dating a revolutionary, quote unquote, and I wound up pregnant, and that mofo kidnapped me, you bet your ass I wouldn't tell him shit about that pregnancy. Like, you don't get to be a part of my life anymore. You kidnapped me. What the hell? Yeah, but then the other thing is, she's sitting in that cell thinking, "How do I get out of that room?" Like, maybe you got to say whatever you got to say. Like, I don't know if that was me. I don't know. I, I felt like she used that little glass shard too early. She should have stabbed him and run away as opposed to stabbing him and then, like, running back into the cell. She saved the pregnancy thing until the last. That was her get out of jail free. But it annoyed me then that once she got out, she then did run off with him. I, I don't know. I, I felt like yeah, was... for a show that started out so strong, the ending was not not very great. The The final episode was just was was pretty uh, it was kind of disappointing i was disappointed that he became a bit of an arsehole at the end and then just yeah. went with him like and i get i get that they were pushing the love story i just wish he could have been maybe less of an arsehole mm-hmm. like, and may, maybe they could have forced him to call her that i could have gone more with like him do the stuff with the lm up until that point and then maybe him say no yeah like to call in her and then maybe they could have like said well look we're gonna kill jude then like yeah you know, like, um, you know, I'm going to kill your brother. So then he has to call her. Like that, that I could have gone more along with his character, wanting to look after his brother and been, to, you know, been forced in a position where he's got truth between his brother and he's just lost his dad. So he's like, well, I can't lose my brother as well. So, you know, yeah. that, that probably would have felt like a more natural thing for him to do. But in truth, um, I did really enjoy this uh, series. Yeah, it's, it's really well done. Um, it hasn't. There's no news on whether it's been picked up, but like I say, it's based off of five books and four novels. So there's plenty of content, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. The fact that Callum actually does it into the first book, how they keep him going, because everything mm-hmm. from now on is a new story for his character. So yeah, I'd, I'd fully recommend this, especially if you want to see something that was much better than Black Cotton in terms of how they handle this concept. So, yeah. Uh, we rated this four out of five. We were, yeah, we were really impressed with it. We'd love to see more. Yep. All right. So moving right along into pilot season this month, we are covering Dear White People on Netflix. Dear White People, I get that being reduced to a race-based generalization is a new and devastating experience for some of you. But here's the difference: my jokes don't incarcerate your youth at alarming rates or make it unsafe for you to walk around your own neighborhoods. Uh, It was created by Justin Simeon, who also wrote and directed the film of the same name. The film came out in 2014. The first season of the TV series came out in 2017. 
uh, stars. Actually, some of the people that were in the film are also in the series, but we have new leads. So the lead in the series is Logan Browning. She plays uh, Samantha White. Um, basically, Netflix kind of did a, a 10 episode, half-ish hour sort of format for Dear White People. Um, the episodes kind of waver. So like the first episode was 33 minutes. I mean, they kind of run 27 minutes, 35 minutes, like somewhere between 25, 35 minutes per episode. Um, there are currently three seasons available on Netflix. The fourth season is set to be released sometime later in 2021. The film actually starred Tessa Thompson as the main character. She had a different name than the character in the TV series. Um, so basically the show is set on a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. It is a university, it's supposedly an Ivy League university. Um, so basically it's mostly white with a handful of minorities on campus. Um, the fictional university is called Winchester University. And the story kind of starts off with tensions are starting to grow between the uh, black kids on campus and the white kids on campus and that little facade of an idyllic perfect college is finally starting to crack. So um, despite there not being too many black students on campus, the ones who are there actually have a very strong kind of foundation and a strong bond. There's lots of different um, black student organizations on campus and they all kind of work together to make sure that their voices are heard and make sure that they have a space where they all feel comfortable. Um, the series focuses on Sam White, who is played by Logan Browning, and she's a junior in media studies. She runs a campus radio show called Dear White People. Um, and she's also the president of the Black Student Union. Uh, she also happens to be biracial. Uh, so one of the themes of the series, which kind of cracks me up. Um, now I have seen two seasons. I have not seen season three, but I have seen two seasons of Dear White People. And I think it's funny to me that they kind of stake their claim on, oh, you can't possibly be for black students because you're dating a white boy. And it's kind of like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see the thread in that argument. Like I, 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 you know, there's, there's lots of discourse with, uh, uh, black people dating outside of their race. But I mean, I think that that is irrelevant, but again, what do I know? So that is a thread that runs throughout the entire series of dear white people. Um, to me, the, the show, it has such an interesting mix of characters and you get to meet most of them in the pilot episode um, and every everyone kind of feels significant, um, even even if the interactions are small at first. Uh, you know that Reggie's going to have a big part to play. You know that Calandria is going to have a big part to play. You know that Lionel is going to have a big part to play. Uh, Joelle is going to have a big part to play. Like you can just feel the the importance of the characters as you meet them in the pilot. Um, and I, I think that setting this on a college campus is a good is a good place for this because I think that's usually in the U.S. anyway. That's usually the first opportunity that that young adults have to kind of step outside everything that they were taught before they left home. 
Uh, because for the most part, kids, um, um, you know, unless you go to like a community college or a commuter school, most kids have left home in some aspect to either live on campus or live near campus to have their like, sort of college experience. So the the setting is perfect for this kind of discourse, so to speak. Um, it deals with some pretty heavy, heavy themes. Um, basically, the episode opens with... <laughs> Uh, white kids having a blackface party, which I thought was really funny. In in Mark's notes, he put that he had never heard of that before, and I'm like, you are very lucky because it is literally something well, that, that so we I have to like, talk about could... all the time. So I think like I've heard of like people showing up and maybe like one person showing up like Halloween doing it themselves. I hadn't actually heard of that being a thing that like, like there's a whole party of white of white people just you know putting like I don't know what they put on their faces, boot polish, whatever it was, like on their, you know, and dressing up as black people. Like that was something I was like, what? Like this is a thing. Like um, yes, it is a so, thing. So, it is a thing that happened on my campus quite often um, and, uh, when I was in college. So yeah, it's. It's like, I shouldn't, people shouldn't have to tell you this. Like, we shouldn't have to tell you that this is offensive. And like, so I, I remember Google, I, so I Googled it and I was like, there's actually quite a lot of information here about mm-hmm. different things. Like, it did seem from what I found was a lot of it was American. Um, so I'm not aware of it. It could have happened here. I don't know. Um, I haven't gone through a thorough search of Google and every link I found. Um, like, but I did mention it to my wife. I was like, this is actually like something that people It's a say, thing. Like, yes, it's a thing. Do. <laughs> and uh, so I was quite I was quite taken back by it, like this whole blackface party thing. Um, so, yeah, you know, I could see how someone might get upset by that. Like, you know, I can't imagine a bunch of black people dressing up as whiteface. <laughs> no. And that's the thing, like, that's, that's, that's what's most frustrating about blackface is, you know, like, let's, for instance, if we take Greek, Greek, uh, geek culture into, into context, like cosplayers, right? There, there are so few black characters, whether it's superheroes or anime or anything else that you, that fits into that kind of cosplay culture that, you know, most of the time, if you are a person of color and you choose to do cosplay, you are most likely cosplaying someone that is not your same skin color because, you know, that person doesn't exist. Um, but it's really funny because so many people will get upset and say, like, for instance, if I wanted to cosplay someone from My Hero Academia, like somebody would tell me, like, you can't possibly be Deku because Deku's not black. And it's like, well, yeah, no shit, Deku's not black. Like, I get that. But I don't he doesn't have to be black for me to cosplay as that character and it's like we as people of color understand that but for whatever reason white people can't seem to grasp that so like if a white person were trying to play afro samurai right who's played a voice by samuel L. jackson they would paint their whole body in that color or if somebody was trying to cosplay moana if a white girl was trying to cosplay moana they might paint themselves to be her same color and it's like no no that's not how it works like if you put on the outfit we can figure out who the hell you are you don't have to like paint your skin to to match the person that you're playing mm. um but so, yeah. yeah so with, with that whole uh blackface pie we've also got the intro uh the narrator um jenna uh, carlo uh john carlo esposito yeah that's it yeah he's so who, fantastic i love who, him 
pretty much everything I, I've seen him in Revolution, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, the boy, the boys. He's in so many things. Like, yeah. um, I think he's a brilliant actor. He's about but to he, be in he, the next Far Cry game. I did not know that. But anyway, so you know it's him straight away. You can't turn by his voice. I knew about his voice. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, like, and <laughs> so he's in, he's introducing like the setup in a very comedic way yeah. uh, to the whole place, which I a little bit because I haven't never watched it before. It's a bit like oh, I hope this isn't like a real outright right comedy. Yeah. But actually, other than there is is humor in it, but I would yeah. say once his narration, so he narrates the beginning of every episode, and once his narration is done, though, which he does in a very comical way, yeah, we get comedy to the does come to a stop. Yeah, the comedy stops after his yeah. introduction, and then he's sort of going through the campus and telling us about the campus, gets us to the blackface party, and what, what was it he says when just before he finishes his thing, like um. I don't remember exactly what he says, but like it ends on and and this was a motherfucker. Yeah, 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 that's like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, kick it off it. that way. Yeah, and then when he said like at that point, it was it was as he's going through it, his narration was really quite nice. Yeah, like you know, nice tone of voice, and he even said that he said my ethnically pleasing voice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and and then he um, yeah, like and then he sort of gets to the breakfast party, and he's like, and that's going to be a motherfucker, and I was like, whoa. Yeah. where did that come from but he does it in such a cool way um but then yeah i thought logan browning who played samantha white was so strong like in yeah. terms of in terms of the star of the show she was just really good and i i actually really loved her rant at the end especially yes. when she goes on her radio show um no she hijacks another radio show because hers yeah. has gotten suspended well, yeah so yeah well she I guess takes her radio show back, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was cool as well. She walks in and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you're not yeah, going on air." It's today. a Dear Abigail kind of show, yeah. which is like an advice column show, and so she basically kicks that girl out, and she's like, "Move!" And the girl's yeah. like, "Okay." <laughs> and then she like locks the door or whatever, and then yeah. just sits down, and she's like, literally goes, "Dear white people," like mm-hmm. literally, and you know she's come with fire, right? And, yeah. Um, so, uh, so the reason behind that is because her friend who's um, got the uh, college newspaper he's quite a nice guy and tells her that he's gonna scoop her um yeah and he because he's nice he, and even she says you want to be in reporting like you're gonna have to not be so nice <laughs> yeah um like, but no honestly her rant though was brilliant like, i'll tell you what just for, for the episode alone her sort of two three minute verse on racism was so good yep. like, because know. it's so spot on she pulls no punches and that's that's what's so fantastic about this series in general the writing is so well done it it doesn't sugarcoat anything and it is literally like there there's a point where so samantha she's dating a white guy which is sort of a point of contention with all of her like black cohorts and and that kind of thing um and at one point she brings him to a they're they're watching a show that's like the equivalent of scandal and she brings him along and he gets into an argument with reggie who is another main character who actually has an amazing story arc as the series progresses um and eventually he's like you know what this is not worth it and so he leaves and when he leaves she follows him and she's like why are you leaving and he's like there's there's no point for me to be here and she's like, oh, no, you were uncomfortable for the first time ever in your life. Like, welcome to my world. This is how I feel all the time. Um, granted, she was she was definitely being a bit uh, 
uh, callous in that moment, in that particular moment. But what what she says kind of rings true. It's like you. This is probably the first time in your entire life that you've ever felt like you didn't belong in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and she basically implied like that's how I feel when I'm on this campus all the time. And uh, there's a scene at the sort of early in the episode where she's in a history class and the history class is getting ready to talk about slavery. And the professor is kind of like, does anybody have any insight? And of course, she's the only black person in the class and she's really not paying attention. She's kind of writing her own notes. And the professor's like, any, anybody that may have some personal experience in this subject matter? And like eventually the rest of the class kind of turns to look at her and she's like, this shit happens to me all the time. And it's like, <laughs> I know what it feels like to be the only black face in a classroom full of people. Yeah. Like they, they, they sort of at the beginning of the episode as well, they go to her, oh, you look like Storm. You look like this. You look like Oh whatever. my God. The you one know, girl that well, says, what are you? Are you? Yeah. Well, I cannot tell you growing up, um, how many times random people, random strangers would approach me and flat out ask me, what are you? Mm. And when I would tell them like, I'm black, they would be like, no, 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 no. Like you have to be mixed. Like you look like you're mixed with something else. So what are you? And I'm like, that is just the rudest question in the world to ask Mm -hmm. someone that you don't even know. Like you have no idea who I am. Why would you ask me something like that? Yeah, sometimes like I've had that, a lot of my children, like, see people see photos and they're like, oh, where are they from? Or where's your, where's your wife from? I'm like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that is an appropriate like, response. I, I, I 100% but, uh, support that response. But but I don't say that because a lot of the time that's happened more in working environment. Like, and um, as, as much as I feel that they are in the wrong for asking that question, like, I clearly can't respond with that. Like in a in a working environment, but it's incredibly <laughs> frustrating. It's and so like the the fact that they added that into there, like what are you? And it's it's literally like what are you? Not what are you mixed with? What's your heritage? Where your where's your family from? No, no, it's it's never like a cordial way to ask the question. People are really just rude about it, and they're like, there what are, are you? There are, there are other ways. Like, oh, your kids are really pretty. Oh, I love their hair. Like, you know, and I'm and that that might be a softer way of getting there. It's still getting there, but it would be a slightly softer way of me knowing what they're inquiring about. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, uh, I mean, I've had even people just walk up to me and go, where's your wife from? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, 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 Why is that like, any of your business? Yeah, like, well, what about where I'm from? Yeah. Like, yeah I'm, I've had I'm people white. argue with me um, like, growing up, especially like if, if I, I usually wear my hair up. Um, if I wear my hair down, my hair is almost to the top of my pants. My hair, I have really, really long hair. Um, but like, if I wear my hair down, I get stopped all the time with random people. Even now, like in my thirties, people are like, where are you? Where are you from? Like, what are you? And I'm like, I'm black. And they're like, no, 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 you're not. And I'm like, how are you going to sit here and argue with me and tell me what I am when I just told you what I was like? It's it's oh. so annoying. It's so annoying. So I think that this, I think Dear White People really captures sort of the quote, it, it captures the Black experience, but it also, in a sense, kind of captures the exotic experience because a lot of times people kind of say stupid stuff like that where it's like, you don't realize that what you have just said, you're kind of fetishizing 
like me as a person as opposed to seeing me as an individual but like mm -hmm. don't go around calling people exotic looking like that's freaking rude i just thought i just thought this happened to me a couple of times like um i don't think i look at anything other than a white guy but like i've had it a couple of times where people have done similar to like i, was, I can't remember where i was in london somewhere and um in a shop and this lady's like oh where are you from and i was like england you're not from italy no i'm from england and you look italian i'm like i am uh... english like i'm english <laughs> And she goes, oh, but you do look Italian. You're not from Italy. I'm like, I'm from England. No, I'm, I'm, I'm English. So you, you, it's like your parents are Italian. No, they're not Italian. Like, Can we well, stop with the questions? Like, like oh, no, what the oh, hell? No. And then she was like, where are your parents from? I was like, oh, my mom is Irish. And, I, and they're like, oh, is that it? No, probably not. Like, oh, but, yeah, that's my favorite. Like, like I get that. Like, I get that, too, where they're like, because my dad's from Somalia, so people are like, oh, that's why you're mixed. And I'm like, I'm not mixed. Like, Somalia is an African country. Like, my dad's black. My mom is American, but she's also black. Like, fuck you. Like, I'm black. What the hell? I'm not mixed oh. with anything. Oh, I mean, I guess people, I don't know. They don't probably, some people just don't have a filter. Like, they, they have an opinion, and they just want to get that opinion to you. Yeah you respond in a, in a way which but they get their offensive. feelings hurt if you respond in a way that it is an actual appropriate response where it's like first of all it's none of your business like i'm literally just trying to buy lemons like why are you harassing me in the grocery store about <laughs> what i am what does it matter like why is it any business of yours and why do i owe you an explanation mm -hmm. um i guess we're going off topic a little bit but that kind of point which she said in the show is really is quite common and mm -hmm. um and i think that's what this show does actually highlights quite a lot of common modern yes um things here which i know noughts and crosses did highlight modern things but they they were done on the other way around mm -hmm. um but this show does you... it in a way where it also calls people out for doing it like mm -hmm. and it, it makes so like the it the it, you can't tell what's going to happen with just the pilot but like based on the pilot it the problem is white people have become uncomfortable with the black student population sort of asking these questions and, and demanding, you know, basically like equal footing, so to speak. And I think that highlights the bigger issue with, with sort of like racial tensions is that problems come up when white people suddenly feel uncomfortable. And it's like the people of color have been living in this for their entire lives and the fact that one conversation one radio show one you know one something has made you this uncomfortable that your response to being uncomfortable is to then throw a racist party you really should be called out on that because that's bullshit like your literal response to me saying like, dear white people, like don't touch my hair or don't ask me what I am when I'm walking around campus is to say, you know what, screw you. We're gonna throw a blackface party because dear black people, it's yeah. like, that's not how this works. <laughs> yeah, they, they, did, they did do that as well, dear black people with the show. Like, yeah, and it's like, like oh my gosh, you, you're missing the entire point, but also you're proving my point. Like you're, yeah. you're proving the point of you you being a racist asshole, basically. Yeah. Um, so it was a really good, strong pilot episode. I did watch a couple others just to get a flavor for what the show would be like. So mm. 
I didn't. I did. I was a bit like you with Dexter. I deliberately stopped. I watched one yeah, or two yeah. afterwards just to get an idea, but I concentrated on the pilot. And I actually went back and watched the pilot again after I'd watched those couple, just so to stick to my strength of my decision on what, how I felt about the pilot. It was a very strong pilot. Yeah. Um, and with- I promise, like it gets really heavy toward the end of the season. I was telling you that before we started recording, but yeah. season one is is really good, and it touches on so many different like topics that are very prescient at the moment so it, it's it's good it's a good series because it does balance the humor i think lionel is he he's the guy who's the journalist he is probably the character that has the most leeway when it comes to being funny um he's great but the series is filled with people being amazing like everyone is so good there's there it's almost like there are no weak links like everybody has a purpose and everybody has some significant importance in the series so if anyone's listening who's seen the english tv show um on channel four um or e4 um called skins which finished years ago it follows a similar setup so in skins it's if you've never watched it it's set in the college years in the united kingdom between sort of 16 and 18 group of friends at college and then each episode is 10 episodes of mainly for each season and it sets up a group of friends and then it follows them for the 10 episodes in their in drama um but each episode focuses on one main character and having watched the next couple of episodes just to get a flavor this show will actually so where sam was the main character in episode one in the next two or three episodes she might only appear in say two or three minutes of scene or in coco's episode she's probably got half the episode but she takes a back she took a back seat to coco's character who had you know 90 of the screen time and each episode will will flick around showing a different main character's um, point of view and which i thought was quite unique as well in the next two or three episodes they keep tying back into events in the first episode and where you see Sam talking to somebody in episode one and that ep- and that conversation even being cut short on episode two and three, you actually get to see the other half of that conversation. I thought mm-hmm. that was quite a unique setup. So like I said, I won't go into that now because we're just talking about the pilot, but the pilot, strong, real strong. Um, I'd fully recommend this to anyone. I actually, I thought this was really good, really well done. Comedy was done well it's not a comedy but it, the, the humor in it is used well mm-hmm. and um but the, the drama is probably the highest point of this and yeah oh yeah really rec- yeah so it was a good it was a good show i really liked it to be honest so um strong budget strong cast yeah so great rating this, yeah we rated this four out of five i'd really fully recommend it if you've not watched it so. yeah and Let's our last review of yeah. this week Closing out Black History Month with a comic. We uh, took on the first volume of Bitterroot. It's from Image Comics. It is written by Chuck Brown and David F. Walker. Art is by Sanford Green, Rico Renzi, and Clayton Cowles. The first volume collects issues one through five. Bitterroot follows, I don't know if I'm saying this right, the Sangier family. Um, basically they're kind of like demon hunters so they've got like this whole supernatural crime fighting streak uh that they do it's set in the 1920s early 1920s harlem um what's really cool about this book is obviously it's completely fictional uh but they do pull in actual events 
Um, one of the events that they reference is the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921, um, which was also an entire episode of the Watchmen series that was on HBO uh, that actually won several Emmys. Um, they also bring up the KKK and um, police brutality. So the, the book is interspersed with pieces of reality but it is basically a fictional story about this demon hunting family um i love this book because it's so deep with its tradition so the family has sort of a matriarch her name is ma etta now i you know you don't ever want to tell older people how old they look but if i had to guess <laughs> i would probably guess ma etta is like 92 years old that's gonna be that's that's the number i'm gonna go with like she she looks quite elderly um but she is the matriarch of this family basically she is the the brains and the the sort of herbalist behind the serums that they come up with she's the one that kind of collects the roots collects the herbs and all of that stuff and makes the serum to sort of that they use to inject these monsters to bring them back into their human form um so it's pretty interesting the way that this works from from what I can tell from the first volume, this family fights monsters that have been turned. They're called Jinnu. Uh, they have been turned through hatred and sort of uh, racism and violence and that kind of thing. And they be from they go from human to this inhuman form. And if if they have turned, they can be turned back. So basically what she does, what Maeda does is kind of create this serum to bring them back, cleanse their soul and bring them back to their human form so they can continue living their lives. Um, it's, it's kind of, to me, that, I thought that was interesting. Instead of just like killing these monsters, they actually see the humanity through the monster side. And so they try to bring them back to humanity which uh, is definitely not a theme that you see running through monster books. Usually it's like, oh, it's a monster. Let's kill it. Move on to the next one. Um, so I, I thought that part was interesting all by itself. So basically some of the other characters in the book now, again, it's all a family. So everybody calls each other cousin. So you have Blink, who is a uh, woman. She's much younger. She looks to be maybe like late 20s. Um, she helps Ma with the serums, with the processing of the uh, roots and the flowers and the plants and all of those things. But Blink doesn't want to do that. Blink wants to be out in the field actually fighting the monsters with her cousins. Um, so some of her other cousins are Cullen, who is very new to this, and he's very, very bad at this. <laughs> um, and Berg, who is a heavyset big guy, but he is sort of like that quiet giant type kind of reminds me of uh the character from oh what's that movie the green mile oh he's like yeah. basically like a gentle giant um oh, I, was, I thought you were gonna say most of men similar oh kind of yeah 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 um if they were ever to make this into a live action feature the only person i can see playing berg is kevin grivo who was in underworld uh, he was sort of Lucius's right-hand man. Uh, he's great. And he's got an amazing, amazing voice. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, it's it's literally a family of demon fighters. So, Berg is the muscle. Cullen is new to this. He's, he's really trying to get it. But, he, again, he's very bad at it. 
Blink wants to be out there fighting the monsters, but her uh, grandmother, I'm assuming, won't let her because her mother died fighting the monsters. And so her grandmother feels like she has to protect her from the same fate that her mother suffered. Um, so it kind of reading this book definitely gives you Lovecraft Country vibes uh, because it's like, yes, we are in a regular like society, but yes, there are also these really ugly things that we have to put away. Um, so they, you know, they do what they can and they fight the monsters. There's a couple of cops that are kind of hip to the supernatural things that this family takes care of, the Sangair family. Um, so whenever they run across people that have been turned into monsters, they sort of bring them to the attention of the Sangair family so that the family can bring them back to their human form. Um, it all kind of goes to hell uh, <laughs> like uh we get to a point there is the the family is not all together there there's some drama as there always is family drama so there is a cousin ford who is in mississippi now mississippi is a long damn way from harlem um so he's in mississippi and he's fighting monsters in mississippi he comes across a gang of kkk guys that are trying to lynch a black man and so he kills them except when he kills them, they turn into monsters and then he has to kill them again. Um, and one white guy does not turn. And because that guy does not turn into the monster for does not kill him because he says your soul has not been tainted. Yeah. Um, and so that guy kind of inadvertently becomes a lackey and just sort of starts to follow Ford around <laughs> everywhere he goes um and now in my head if i were casting this i would i would cast that guy older and he would be walton goggins <laughs> i just think oh, that walton goggins would be perfect in that role um so and as far as playing ford i would pick uh amari hardwick because he had the mutton chops to play the part uh based on his role in uh sorry to bother you which is a great film if you haven't seen it um so anyway, in Mississippi, we've got more, you know, more of the Sangier family fighting, fighting demons and monsters and that kind of thing. And down in Mississippi, he's actually chasing uh, what appears to be like a hellmouth. But he's chasing this big kind of genu that he he realizes is not a man turned into a devil, but he is a devil that is hiding as a man. So he's fighting him, but he thinks that that guy is guarding a door to the underworld. Uh, so then we start to get into like this deeper mythology about unleashing hell on earth and how do you stop these things from happening? Um, basically it's like this amalgamation of like sci-fi horror kind of comic. The art is phenomenal. The art does such an excellent job of keeping you engaged in the battles. It's, oh, it's so, so good. colorful. It's so vibrant. Yeah. The art, I mean, the art is fantastic in here. Um, but the writing is also really, really great. There's so many, so many good moments. Like the, um, I, you can't see this, but like I have all these little post-it sticky notes on different pages of the book that I wanted to make note of while I was reading. And um, in Mississippi, the so the one white guy who does not turn into the Jinnu, he's like, "You killed all these people in cold blood." And uh, Ford is like, in cold blood? No, I didn't. They were about to lynch a black man. Like, I didn't kill anybody in cold blood. If you ask me, they got what they had coming. Um, 
and it's just the whole the whole book is filled with these these great lines these great sequences um and and the way that they kind of blend the actual events from history with the events in this book uh is really interesting um and there's a point so uh when the main villain reveals himself and he sort of attacks a bar in harlem while they're just kind of out having a good time um and the police start to turn into these monsters because the police the police don't understand that monsters are the reason that people have been disappearing in in the parks they think that the they think that black people are responsible for killing off these victims that they've been coming across so the police go to this bar and they basically just start attacking the patrons in the bar trying to get information out of them well in the process of attacking the patrons the police become overwhelmed with hatred and that hatred turns them into these monsters and as the people are fleeing the bar they run to the senior sort of place of business the storefront or whatever you want to call it so now the Sangers are trying to fight the monsters, but they also have to worry about how the hell are we going to feed all these people and protect all of these people that have now come to us as like a sanctuary. And basically, Blink is like, I don't care about these people. Like, we don't have time to worry about how to feed these people when we have to stop the monsters. But Ma Etta is like, uh-uh, that's not how this works. And uh, basically, she she has a point where she says, we don't turn our backs on folks in need. That's not the way that we do things. We have to fight the fight, but we also have to feed the hungry. And I thought that, that was a really great kind of like peek into their character. Like, yes, I understand that we have to fight these monsters and you're absolutely right. We have to take care of that, but we cannot abandon these people in the process of doing that. Um, so I just, I mean, I fell in love with like all of the characters in this book and sort of the herbalism and the rituals that they kind of go through. Um, now, thankfully, I grew up in a much more modern time where that was not something that we had to worry about. But um, some of my familial roots are set in Louisiana. And this book, to me, presents with some of those Creole-type tri traditions of the herbal remedies or, you know, the prayer or the chanting or what people call voodoo that's not really voodoo or hoodoo. Um, so part of this book feels like, you know, in some alternate reality, this could actually be my own family. Uh, so I really, really kind of felt a connection to Bitterroot from the moment that I started reading it. And I just, I loved every minute of it. It was one of those books uh, on when we did our March book club. One of the things that our guest had mentioned was that when she first started reading graphic novels, she would forget that she was reading a graphic novel and she would only focus on the text and then have to go back and look at the pictures in context with the text. And now, when I was reading this book, I did the opposite. I got so wrapped up in the art <laughs> that I had to stop myself and then go back and read the text to go with the art. Um, so I, I really love this book. I love this family. I can't wait to pick up volume two. Um, in fact, as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to hop on Amazon and I'm going to get it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I loved it. I, I really did. And then at the very back of the book, they kind of put several pages where they actually talk to scholars and professors and uh, researchers and writers about some of the things that they put into the book. So that stuff is really interesting as well to, to kind of flip through that and read through that. Um, 
I really enjoyed this book. I, I love these characters. I can't wait to see what other kind of stuff we get into. And this art, man, oh man, this art is so, so good. Yeah, there is um, quite interesting text at the end of each issue, like which covers up, you know, like you know, racism or something you know, mm-hmm. in each, each book. So it's, it's actually quite an interesting read. Um, I think yeah, you've actually mentioned the art quite a few times. I love the art in, these, in this book. Yeah. Um, even things like um, just facial expressions, the, the yes. lining and the detail, and and each even like characters which literally, literally come in on one page and have killed the next, yeah. they, still, they still get some really good attention to detail. Yeah, um, I, 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 found, I found for me, I think I found sometimes when I read these things because there's quite a lot of characters in it and a lot's happened. I didn't probably I didn't find I bonded to it as well as you did, but mm-hmm. I, I felt I felt I, I've known myself. I know that I have to go back normally and reread something like this if there's a, if there's quite a lot of people in it and quite a lot going on. So I'm I'm gonna give it a second read. Even I found that was quite useful for me with Viva Vendetta. Viva <laughs> Vendetta is heavy. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is not as heavy as that. Like, but it, there was a lot going on. I felt so. Yeah. I think it's worth me giving it a second read. Um, but I did. I did enjoy it. I just, I just felt think that I would definitely benefit from a, a second read. Um, but I, I enjoy all the. Um, just the craziness of it, like yes. you know, like yeah, it's like, wild. Like um, some of the things that are happening and, and the way that, so, I don't know, I just, the, the fight sequences, the dialogue, everything in this book is so punchy and so, like there's nothing slow about it to me, even in the scenes where they're not um, fighting. So it's a very Lovecraft country, I think. Oh yeah, for well, sure, for sure. Uh, well, no, technically yeah. Lovecraft country has some Bitterroot vibes since well, Bitterroot came first, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They've got yeah, similarities to each other. So. Yeah. But um, yeah, I haven't really got much more to add on this. I think you've covered most of it. But we 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 really rated this strongly. We thought the story was four, and the art was a four as well. That both out of five. But we were very, totally we very positive on this. Yeah, and like I said, I can't wait to pick up volume two. Um, so the first volume again collects one through five. The second volume collects six through ten plus a special issue. Um, so yeah, I I love this family, and I definitely want to see them doing more, especially spoiler spoiler uh so cullen accidentally gets pulled into some kind of portal to another dimension another world i don't know if that's hell or some other place when he comes back he is much older much more grizzlied much bigger um and far more weathered and capable than when he went in because the, the whole like first i would say the first two issues um, kind of paints him as like the lackey that is sort of trying really hard but like not quite there yet and by the time he comes back in the fifth book it's kind of like holy hell like you look like a completely completely different person so I'm super super intrigued to find out what the backstory is for that but I did love these characters and again some of the things reminded me of some of my uh, some of the stories I've heard from my family back in backwater Louisiana uh, you know, where they actually still speak Creole. And sometimes you go back for family reunions and I can hear a lot of broken French. Don't always understand what they're saying, but uh, hey, laissez les bon temps relay. You probably know <laughs> far more French than I ever <laughs> And I, I live far near a... <laughs> always used to say other languages. But anyway, um, 
Yeah, so just that was a bit of root volume one and brings our three reviews to a close. Yeah, and busy week, week, but this was fun. I enjoyed everything that we did this week. Yeah, it was very educational for myself, I thought. so. Um, well, that's good that yeah. geeky things can actually teach you something significant. I think it's been from, from the start, from from March through, to, well, actually, even Black Cotton, Black Cotton, mm-hmm. March, and then the three that we've done this week. And... You know the other things that we talked about nice white parents and mm-hmm. um just you know there's a lot of education for myself which hopefully people listening will also learn from what yeah. we've been reviewing or take an interest enough to go and pick these things up or watch them yeah. um at least open yourself up to the dialogue yeah to having the conversation that yeah they're uncomfortable conversations but but nothing yeah. changes you, nothing ever changes inside your comfort zone it always changes yeah. outside your comfort zone so yeah so we decided to change our recommendations this week to something both of us uh put forward a superhero and um going with black history month we both put both picked black superheroes so i'm recommending that people if you don't know about it and jasmine didn't it's did um, not uh, Shadow Man from Valiant Comics, and Valiant Comics has been around since the nineties. It, it's been through many ownership structures, and then they rebooted again. I think it was two thousand ten or eleven, and then Shadow Man got his own series in two thousand twelve, which is absolutely um, brilliant. So that he has a new series coming out in April from Cullen Bunn and John Davis Hunt. Cullen, uh, uh, sorry, Shadow Man is, I'm trying to think, probably like action, horror, fantasy, supernatural, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He it's very much deals in magic and demons and, and you know, jumping in and out of sort of, I don't know, hell, hell dimensions and that. It's all, it's all that kind of thing. Um, but I, I love every series that he's had. But his first one he had from the second relaunch of Valiant in 2012. I, I love. I've got that all. I've got that all together. I would never get rid of that. Um, but yeah, no, Shadow Man is a really cool, quite strong superhero character. Has been through a couple of things during his resurrection through since Valiant comic relaunch. But yeah, no, mm-hmm. I recommend. I recommend picking it up if you basically if you like horror and you know, fantasy and action that kind of thing. It's, it's definitely worth picking it up. I might check it out. He's not a superhero in your traditional roots. He does have a costume, but yes, he does. Uh, I saw. I saw. He looks pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, my recommendation for this week, in keeping with David Walker, I, I do enjoy his stuff. Uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. Uh, when David F. Walker was writing for this series, this was back in 2011. This run is so much. Fun. Um, I discovered this run after I had seen Luke Cage and Luke Cage that series on Netflix changed my entire perception of what a black hero could be because there was so much black culture in Luke Cage it was the first time that I had watched a superhero show and felt 100% represented um, so after that, I distinctly looked for more Luke Cage stuff and I stumbled on the David Walker run on Power Man and Iron Fist. It's, it's great. I, I love the run. It's so much fun. Um, so I would definitely suggest checking out Power Man and Iron Fist. 
And next week we will be reviewing. Do you know what? I can't. I can't not mention this. I've just seen news pop up that the new Superman apparently is going to be a black Superman uh, yeah. in the movies from Tanahasi no. Coates. Apparently, yeah, Tanahasi Coates yeah. writing it, who wrote that amazing latest Black Panther run, uh, and J.J. Abrams. Uh, especially with this episode, I felt sorry. I know we weren't covering news, but it's literally like, sort of just popped up on my feed. I thought I can't not mention that in this episode. Um, I so think next we're week, a bit early for a Superman reboot, though, if we're being honest. Uh, I, it annoys me. There's no need for it. Just, just make up, like kiss and make up. Get, get, him, get, get him back. Call Henry Cavill. Oh, yeah, kill Henry Cavill. Get him back. Just He's a brilliant Superman. There's he's no need. Superman. There's no need to recast him. There's no need to reboot. Just, oh, I don't know. Trouble with DC. They never commit enough. Like The know, trouble with DC is that their animation doesn't talk to their movie universe. They should probably have at least a conversation with each other. Oh, anyway, let's stop. We, we, we could spend another half an hour criticizing DC. <laughs> anyway, um, next week we will be reviewing the first two episodes of Superman and Lois from the CW, and we will be starting our March-themed uh, reviews. Monster we're going to, yeah, we're going to be reviewing the Godzilla King Kong uh, franchise, starting with Godzilla t- from 2014. Mm-hmm. We'll also be joined by Stephen Fox, who yes. is going to. He's going to be regularly joining us once a month, so you can uh, expect to hear three of us next week. (laughs) And don't forget, we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our fifth Late to the Party Book Club episode was March Book One by Andrew Iden and the late John Lewis. That was a great episode. We really enjoyed that. Um, It dropped uh, mid-February, mid to late February, so be sure to check that out. And we are taking the month of March off. We will be back in April with our Late to the Party book club for Akira Volume 1 by Kazuhiro Otomo. You can also follow us on social media. We're Geeks Unleashed on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn. We are everywhere. So be sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. Thank you very much for listening. Guys, stay geeky. Have a good week. Bye.